Welcome to the Adventurous Wrestling Conversation. My name is David Stevenson, and on this edition, I'm going to be talking to Shanil Chande, who's a funds analyst, alternative funds analyst at Liberum. And we're going to talk a bit about something that's uh, close to the heart of anybody who buys into investment trusts, which is whether or not share buybacks work, and particularly whether or not share buybacks work for investors. Um, I apologise, the sound sounds a little tinny, sounds like we're both been recording from inside a kind of cardboard box, which isn't entirely inaccurate in my case. But anyway, sit back and enjoy. We're going to talk a bit about buybacks. Do buybacks work? And look, we, I know that it's very difficult to answer the simple black and white scenario because it sort of depends on lots of things. So why don't, in order to answer that question, why don't we go back and look at what has been happening in the buyback market? And I think it's important to, to frame this, which is one of the reasons, I suppose, why people care so much about buybacks and certainly boards care so much about buybacks is because the investment trust sector in the UK is trading quite big discounts. There's a lot of discounts out there and I suppose there's a lot of fairly unhappy investors going, hang on, my funds are 5, 10, 15, 20, 50, 55, 60% discount. Yeah. So what are you, the board, going to go do about it? Um, so that's the product, kind of conject, that's the context we find ourselves in. But why don't you set the scene? Yeah. Uh, so in terms of where we stand at the moment, I think buybacks are, are something that have taken place for many years. It's generally been the purview or the area of equity trusts, particularly those, you know, the, the larger kind of, 1 billion plus market cap ones that have um, zero discount policies or who have kind of strategies that are aimed around keeping their discounts within a narrow range of around 2%. And then when the shares move to a premium, they issue shares. So that, that's been the historical context. What's different now is within the alternative space, we've seen, uh, for instance, infrastructure renewable trusts that have been on premiums for best part of 10 years or so um, move to discounts in some cases, which are in, in the kind of double-digit territory. Now, this has raised a question amongst the market in terms of um, what is the best way to tackle this discount? Do you have spare capacity? Do you have liquidity there? If you were to engage in buybacks, um, first of all, are you able to do this? I think that's an important important question to ask across sectors, and it varies across whether you're looking at a private equity or growth capital or renewables. They're different um, capabilities there and different things to consider. But fundamentally, the way we view buybacks is that look, it, it's very hard to, to control your discount or to say that we're going to, you know, we're going to launch a buyback program, we're going to acquire, let's say, 10 million or maybe 2 or 3% of our market cap, and we're going to try and reduce our discount. I think ultimately it's going to be determined by more than that, um, particularly if you're doing, if you're engaging in buybacks that are not of a, of a you know, we have in some instances, some funds are doing maybe 10% of the annual volume. Maybe in that sort of situation, yes, you can say that's going to have a meaningful impact. But I think the best way from, from kind of our research and just the way we, we, we think in terms of simplifying the, the equation, it's probably best to, in our view, to focus on a NAV per share kind of capital, to look at buybacks essentially as a, as a capital, um, a use of capital decisions. So if you're on a particularly high buyback, oh, sorry, you're on a particularly high discount, let's say 15 to 20%, and you have liquidity, um, and you have investment opportunities that you could put your existing um, uh, resource to, then it becomes a question of, hey, maybe we can get you know, a better return from buying back our shares. What we find is that at a, using a very simple kind of 
a simple mathematical equation, just looking at a fund with, let's say, 100 million uh, shares outstanding, 100 you know, pence nav, it becomes very hard for that um, new investment to beat the nav per share return you would get from buying back your shares once you know one, once you start looking at double digit discounts i think that's that's a that's a neat way to kind of look at it and it, it creates a, a sense check i think that that's probably the best way we've looked at it now when it comes to the the wider impact if you're looking at what impact does a buyback policy have on discounts um on sentiment on discount volatility then maybe these can be seen you know in best case as a positive side effect so you may have a situation where particularly now where we see uh, you know, an absence of buying volume. You know, you come in and you uh, use the example of um, a Kia European, for example. You're buying back. So far this year, you've, you've um, transacted 13% or so of your annual volume. That's having a meaningful impact, and you're one of the better performing um, funds in your space. In that sort of situation, you can see kind of the benefit. However, equally, you're looking at a situation where I think it's one of the, the one of the points I, I tried to make in the note was it's it's almost unfair to 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 make a strong comparison between equity trusts and alternative trusts. I think mm. that that's not an easy comparison to make. I mean, first and foremost, if you want to uh, kind of source the liquidity as a as a as an equity trust, I mean, you're selling shares generally, or you have that liquidity. It's much easier. You, you can't start selling part of a wind farm. And you have commitments that you've made to certain projects. Um, you have kind of a decision to make on, for instance, gearing, um, whether it's you know paying down debt or by reducing the size of your trust, your gearing ratios may increase. Um, you have concerns potentially around liquidity. We're seeing kind of the buy side moving higher and higher in terms of what sort of trusts they want to acquire and, and what sort of liquidity they, they, they require. So you're deliberately shrinking your fund. I think that that can also be um, seen as uh, something that a board would have to weigh against. Um, okay, uh, yeah. let, me, let, me, let me interrupt a second. So, so I think you make a very important and meaningful distinction between just general equity funds and alternatives. So that, let's take that one on board. And then, so you, you make that important point, which is about the return on, effectively return on deploying the capital. Do you get a better return yeah. on deploying the capital by investing in, say, the underlying asset. And most alternatives are generating a kind of, where they're, they're sort of producing a kind of return on capital employed somewhere between 7 and 15%. Obviously, there's stuff on outside that range, but 7 mm-hmm. to 15, would, I'm guessing, would probably be somewhere where they're targeting IIRs or somewhere like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I suppose the thing is... Um, but what happens? So I get I get all of that. So basically, what you're saying is, is if 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 you if you return on cap, it, it does make sense from return on capital employer perspective to be buying those shares back because actually it's quite difficult sometimes to beat that return on capital. Mm-hmm. But I know just you were careful to frame it in the kind of ten or fifteen percent. What happens when you start getting down to the kind of 35 percent discount range? And there are some alternatives kicking around that space. Yeah, I I think at that point, if you have the liquidity there. And you have less concern, kind of, let's say your, your shares are trading, the average daily volume is in excess of, let's say, a million pounds. You have yeah, less concerns yeah. around liquidity. I think it, it's, it's, it's hard to argue against you not doing something, if you can. Now, I, I look at, I, I mean, in some situations, I think 
the resource just hasn't necessarily been there. But you're having, uh, I would point to an example, for instance, Next Energy Solar came out the other day. You, you do have ways of, I mean, if, if you were to sell an asset and invest back into your portfolio, so there are ways. But I, yeah, at, at discounts in excess of 25, 30%, then the sort of return you would need to generate from a new investment in your portfolio would be, um, it would almost be impossible to beat what you'd get from, from buying yeah, batteries. Yeah. Again, it depends on clearly on how much you're buying back. Okay, and what's what's the best way of do, if so? Let's say you are a fund with a a, a discount that's beyond the fifteen percent kind of range here, yeah? so twenty, twenty-five, thirty, thirty-five, something like that. What's the best way of doing it? Um, is it doing it little and often, or is it better to do it in a big bank? So go right, we're going to do it, or do you do tenders? Or I mean, there's all sorts of ways of doing yeah. it. But what, what is there a kind of a best or most efficacious way of doing it? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. I think it, it, it's easy. It's it's often kind of the natural tendencies would be to to take a look at you know in in absolute pound terms where are the biggest buybacks, where are they taking place. But I think just based on what we've seen from the research we've compiled, um, looking at 2022 and this year, a little and often, if we're looking at let's say the impact on the volatility of the discount, I think that that seems to work quite well. Um, so we, we had a look at, uh, we used Augmentum Fintech as an example. Um, so the shares, Augmentum has been uh, by far the most active uh, within the kind of growth capital area, the only the only fund that has been active actually. Um, so the standard deviation of the discount has been a lot lower this year compared to some of its peers. So that that's one way of maybe looking at the efficacy of, of what they were doing. And they've been doing buybacks. They've had several uh, several days in the last month month or two months where they've been buying back shares so the, i think the little and often probably is a good way of doing it um what, what about what about the way in which buybacks can help improve the underlying liquidity on the market making side um because one of the things i think is also appeared which people don't comment on is that quite often the bid offer spreads have started to widen out yeah mm-hmm. so it and, and a lot of people find themselves trapped in a situation where uh, the bid offer spreads start widening out. The disc- the discount starts getting bigger, um, and that that kind of forms a negative feedback loop actually, because actually uh, investors get more and more disturbed yeah. by the bigger bid offer spread, the bigger discount, and, and thus when you make the plunge to sell, it's quite a big loss. So yeah. on one on one level, it might encourage people to stay on the shareholder books. On another level, it might really annoy them because they're actually looking at the bid offer spread and thinking, if I've got to force sell this, I'm going to get absolutely murdered, and the discount's gone big, and it might make the discount go bigger. So does um do, do buybacks could they help that? I, I, possibly, I think that that's that's a another good point. Particularly, I mean, we we've seen. Uh, I'm sure you you'll have a view on this. Just the the general the pervasiveness of discounts um, and, and the fact that we've seen wider markets start to improve more recently, but that hasn't really factored in. There, there seems to be more at play within investment trusts. Mm-hmm. So it is interesting. I think a big part of it um, is to do with that. So we've had, uh, as you mentioned, the, the, the spreads widening. We've had, um, you know, uh, some sellers being cleared out by buybacks, but again, just just on that we've had some funds launch buyback programs but it's one thing to launch it but you need to you need to find the seller you need to have yeah, that yeah. It, it's not it, it 
like I can look at it in practice and look at the NAV accretion and look at the NAV per share, but it's particularly now it's much harder to actually execute. Um, so again, if you're bringing a, a bigger volume in, um, and given how you know, given the the dearth of buying volume, you can make an impact there. And I think your your point, I think it'd be an interesting thing to look at, and and you know, conceptually it should help um, if you're able to to bring that in in terms of potentially um, reducing that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, what, what what happens when you get to really kind of epic discounts? Um, and by epic, I'm sort of talking sort of fifty percent plus, really. Yeah. Where the market sort of is—it's a big flashing red light, really, sort of t- telling you that yeah. the market has got some real problems with what you're doing, uh, and that's not always fair because actually some funds that are trading at a fifty percent discount or more—I uh, I could think of something like I don't know Georgia Capital, for instance, which I, I actually quite like. I think it's actually quite interesting, but but it, you know it just happens to be deep. <laughs> the unlucky is in private yeah. equity next to Russia, <laughs> yeah, and, and so it's kind of like it's kind of like you could almost draw up a short list of things you really would want to be, and it would be on that list. Um, but uh, once you get past fifty percent, I mean, does it? I mean, it might be efficacious to your point about return on on capital. Yeah, but does it really make any <laughs> no. difference at, at that sort of level? I think you're looking. I mean, it would be. I mean. You, you can't really make a nav accretion argument there because that's almost nonsensical. Uh, in that sort of situation, you're looking more at signaling. I think that that is where it might. Um, again, there you can look at buybacks as well as whether they're being kind of complemented by um, uh, manager or, or, or yeah, board yeah. activity. I think there you can make some um, make some analysis, but at a fifty percent discount, I think the nav accretion argument isn't. I mean, it should be front and center. Yeah, exactly. Uh, although, although so, so, I have, I have thought again on the fifty, just just based on the fifty discounts, hypnosis, roundhill. Yeah. That that's been an interesting sector where the tailwinds are strong. I think I, I know you, you you look at it quite often as well. Uh, it almost doesn't seem to go a day go by where we're not having kind of good good news out of a let's say a Spotify streaming number or another music deal. So I, I think those sort of sectors where you can get behind a tailwind and it exists probably would have, you know, in, in terms of the signaling argument and also a, a point I haven't mentioned, uh, you know, within alternatives, you have a number of sectors, I mean, royalties comes to mind, obviously renewables infrastructure, where a lot of equity capital was raised um, over several years. Um, and you may, you probably have some argument on the buy side to be, you know, you were quick to raise money when the times were good. Um, if you're on a double-digit discount now and you have the ability to do even a little bit, even if it is a little bit, maybe there is a positive signaling there. There is a bit of goodwill for ultimately when markets open. I think that's also something that, um, to my mind, is also of some importance. Uh, uh, yeah. Now, you raised the point about the combination of measures. I think that's interesting. Yeah. So it's not just um, the buyback. It's maybe... Uh, and I think um, Digital Line has done this as well, where they're signaling they might try. I think it did, I think Triple Point did it as well, where they might try and um, Triple Point Social Housing, where they might try and sell an asset or sell a stake in an asset. Mm-hmm. Um, and then another signaling you've mentioned as well is uh, management managers buying in and board buying in. So therefore, I, I suspect you'll correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe the best kind of combination of measures might be. A, a, a buyback, little and often, um, 
maybe the board and the manager buying some shares, maybe a portfolio transaction that points to value. Yeah. And, and if you can align those up, presumably that might be, although we don't know if it will work yet because not many yeah. people have tried it, but presumably that might be the best way of doing it. I completely agree. I think that there isn't a, a, a kind of go go big one approach that will um, ultimately completely turn around sentiment, although I think that the best one, more than buybacks, is validation of, uh, in the case of a digital nine where, I mean, if you look at some of the assets, they are they are very, very compelling, um, and they're probably worth a lot more than people give them credit for. Um, so that sort of situation, I think that D9 is not unique. There are many instances or many examples there. So that sort of um, bringing to life the, the underlying valuation through a partial sale or, or a kind of secondary event, I think that that probably is the number one determinant of uh, moving sentiment. I think clearly the the, the backdrop demands you know it's it's these discounts have been quite sticky in some cases so it demands something different um so i think it, it's no longer a case of you know we're going to buy something hold it for a long time and ultimately <clears throat> um you know hope that markets improve so i think that that signaling again on the royalties if if a, a you know particular hypnosis was able to demonstrate um you know by selling one of their catalogs, um, even you know, and providing a little bit more detail on the underlying income that was generated and the valuation, that sort of event could make a big difference. You could you could see quite a, uh, I mean, you're, you're not going to you know move back to a premium anytime soon, but you could see a meaningful move in the discounts. I think the alignment or the the kind of, if you were to say a a, a, a combination of things, um, I would say uh, completely agree there. Uh, so buybacks can form part of it. You can have some kind of, uh, you know, transactions from within the manager and the board, and then validation of the nav, and then you're you're presenting something which is uh, compelling in nature. But as you say, we haven't had necessarily an example of all three of those things, yeah. um, uh, which I think is not necessarily too far away. I think we will see that. Um, uh, uh, what about? Sometimes people do buybacks because they have a couple of large shareholders are sort of knocking on the door saying, yeah. come on, we, yeah. we want you to do a buyback and we want you to buy us out. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and quite often that goes via kind of tenders and other kind of structures. I, I'm much more cynical about those because I'm sure they work for the large shareholder knocking on the door. I'm not entirely sure they work for everybody else. And to your earlier point, they end up materially diminishing the size of your fund and you end up having a smaller fund below the radar. Is there any data that those kind of more... I don't know how we can put it, more organized buybacks with particular small handful of shareholders. Is there, I'm guessing there isn't any evidence, but do they work or not work? That, that's probably an exercise. That, that's something I would, I mean, I think that would be interesting to look at. So that, that's something I may take. Set you a challenge. Yeah. Um, uh, that's something I will look at. I think that that's interesting. Um my hunch is it. My hunch is it probably doesn't work for the wider market because yeah. I think if I'm the rest of the shareholders, I'm sitting there thinking, "Hang on," <laughs> and 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 also I can't believe it makes sense for the scale of the fund. I, I mean, just call me old-fashioned, but I mean, it, you and I both know that the minimum level for many buyers now has been creeping up. Well, not even creeping, shooting up from kind of like 100 billion, 200 million, yeah. 300, 400, 500. So materially pushing yourself back down. I really can't see how that works terribly well. Yeah, I can imagine that's 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 uh, 
for the the newer funds that launched in the last maybe four or five years, I think that that's you know that there is clamoring for buybacks or kind of some some form of return of capital. I think that that's something that will be front and center in the minds of boards. I think you you the direction of travel seems to be one way in terms of what is a minimum requirement. So you have to be very careful in terms of to what extent you're deliberately making yourself smaller. Yeah, I just want to, I want to finish on, a, on one last kind of just broader question. Um, do we do we think sort of moving beyond buybacks and really why people do buybacks because it's a discount question? Is, do you have any sense? Uh, I mean, I think we both agree that there's a, there is a structural issue kicking around uh, with particularly in the investment trust sector. Yeah, particularly probably in the alternative sector actually, where um, there's a structural issue. Sure, there's lots of kind of alignment of market factors going on the you know the markets aren't good there's not a lot of ipos and all the stuff and that definitely massively affects sentiment no one's denying that but we we do have some quite chronically high um discounts in quite yeah. a lot of places and as you say quite often in quite in funds that actually look on the face of it the tailwinds are looking pretty good so there's something structural going on do you have any, do you get any sense that we might be at the trough of that and might be looking at moving up, or do you think we're still approaching the trough, in the trough, or just not going anywhere? I say, I suppose, like Gage, do you think that the, the structural headwinds are, are abating, or do you think that they're still out there? I mean, none of us could know. It's, I'm yeah. asking to get a crystal ball out. <laughs> I think they're very much still out there, but there have been some very tentative signs in the last couple of weeks where things may be looking slightly. But I, I just your point. I mean, I looked last week at just transactions in in kind of renewable you know alternatives beyond investment trust so there were april was by far the best month since last july in terms of deals and digital infrastructure music um, so things are opening up elsewhere now in terms of the the structural issue to where we are uh, i i think we're probably still s- slightly some way off but we have seen i think just this week we've seen a little bit more positive momentum towards growth capital. Um, but we do seem to be in a situation where the kind of the opportunity cost of what you're able to buy from kind of inflation-linked bonds is front and center. And um, moving beyond that, I think we need, we need a couple of catalysts probably. Uh, and it's hard to think of on a portfolio level, you know, Again, go back to the earlier point, just in terms of validation and, and displaying the fact that, you know, whether it's a, a data center asset or, or something else or a music royalty catalog, or in the case of, uh, you know, a, a Chrysalis or Oakley or Apex, those sort of events where the opening up kind of moves into the investment trust sector where these are actually affecting rather than the wider markets, some of these assets. I think that probably is the is the is the thing, but I think it's still more structural than that. So again, in terms of crystal ball, it's very hard to say, but it, it does feel like we're still quite some way off where um, we may see some of these strategies move back to premium. Because we, we've seen instances where, you know, results updates are good. If you research some of the underlying investments, it's hard to kind of find faults necessarily, but Again, it doesn't necessarily seem to shift sentiment, or it may do for a week, but then you end up moving back to this rebased, uh, rebased share price where 
again, you're, you're almost starting again. So, yeah, I, I, so I, I agree with you. I think it, it, we need some transactions, really. Yeah. But we, what we really need, and when I talk to fu- uh, fund managers, and I'm sure they hate it when I say it, but what we actually need is some kind of private equity guys. Well, I suppose we've had them with industrial REIT, um, uh, been done by Blackstone, but we need three or four more of these kind of to happen. And I think, you know, if somebody snaps up a couple of infrastructure funds, I don't know, snaps up a royalty fund or snaps up a digital fund or something like that, uh, I don't know. I mean, yeah. Then I think suddenly sentiment could change very rapidly. Uh, but we sort of need more of that, really, because at the moment you're, I'm sitting there going, well, if I were private equity, I'd be quite interested in some of this. Yeah, yeah. it has been interesting. I think some of these assets, I mean, you see what, uh, I mean, you know, what, what they transact for and you, you kind of compare, you, you mm. kind of find assets that might be similar and you're still seeing activity and you're still seeing deals which are valuations that are, <laughs> I mean, again, you have, when you when you kind of adjust the valuation for the share price you're looking at, in some cases, it's it's mind-blowing. Mm. Uh, you you have access to, for instance, an Icelandic data center or something mm. of that ilk where, I mean, this is, like, grossly undervalued. Mm. No, I agree. I agree. Um, right, so we've talked for 25 minutes. Thank you very much. Um, so I think the message, which is sort of loud and clear, is uh, buybacks, if you're in the kind of, um, Goldilocks zone, let's put it that way, which is kind of 10 to 20% discount, uh, little and often, uh, maybe a kind of validation via uh, some kind of transaction, maybe uh, directors and managers buying as well. That's probably the best way of doing it. it that's probably the sweet spot for buy bucks. Yeah, uh, I think I think that that's right. And we've seen this year so far that the kind of better performing funds have been Akia, Augmentum, and they, they've been some of the most active uh, across whether it's uh, buying back shares or uh, order purchases. Which is quite useful for investors as well. That's not only for boards, that's worth yeah. looking at. Because yeah, actually, I think, yeah, again, from an investor point of view, I would be, I, I think it makes sense to follow the buybacks just to see what the volumes are because it does seem to have a difference, to have an impact, particularly in this environment. Yeah, there we are. That's the $64 million answer <laughs> to the $64 million question. Thank you, Shadil. All right, thanks, David.